and welcome to Media Mavens. This is episode 53. I'm Pam, and with me as always is Riley. Hello. Hey, Riley. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Taking care of an old sick cat, but other than that, okay. (laughs) Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about Annihilation, the sci-fi movie which came out not too long ago, and with us to discuss that is returning guest Zufi. Hello. Hey, Zufi. Thanks so much for coming back on. Oh, of course. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. I think we've all done a lot of the same things <laughs> for this episode, so we'll probably have a lot of things to talk about aside from Annihilation. Uh, but we'll start out with what we've been up to. Oh, actually, do you want to say anything about yourself before we start? I know you've been on a few times already. <laughs> um, well, I'm not doing anything too interesting these days, so I don't have anything to plug but I watch a lot of Overwatch League these days, play a lot of video games, um, drag Riley into <laughs> pirate adventures, <laughs> often ill-advised ones. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty much what I've been up to recently. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, so we'll start out with what we've been up to. So Zufi, you can start off. Well, as I kind of hinted, I've been playing a lot of Sea of Thieves recently um, and really enjoying that so far. I know the reviews and the community response have been um, maybe a little mixed, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I can certainly sort of sympathize with the concerns long term uh, about the way that the content can be sort of repetitive or or that there's just not a lot of depth to the content, I guess. But right now, for me at least, because it's sort of a relatively new experience, it's only been around for like two weeks, I think. Yeah. I still am very much, I'm not sick of the limited content that there is in terms of the way the like fetch quests work and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But also like, for me, the appeal is very much that you don't know what's ever going to happen when you go into a play session because it is sort of dependent upon the people you're with and the other people that are, you know, in your world at the time. So, you know, just just as with any game that's sort of structured in this way, its longevity and and sort of how interesting it is to you kind of depends on how interesting player interaction and that sort of thing are. Yeah. And you can get, like, all sorts of different player interactions. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not just like, hey, we've seen another boat and now we're going to shoot at them. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it ranges from like coordination to, yeah, maybe open warfare or maybe someone sneaks on their boat and steals something. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, there's a lot. and, And Riley has been sending me a lot of really fun videos, too, that I think she's finding like mostly on the Reddit for this. I think. Yeah, the subreddit. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, like, there are just so many sort of cool stories that you that you see pan out. One of my favorite ones that she sent me was actually this video of these guys who are on a sloop, which is the smaller of the two ships, and one of the guys actually sneaks, <laughs> sneaks onto a galleon that's doing a skull fort, which is sort of like the big kind of, like, raid-type thing in the world in Sea of Thieves, mm-hmm. where you have to fight a bunch of enemies, but you get a pretty giant quantity of loot at the end. And so this guy just sort of camps in the captain's quarters in the galleon for like probably a good 15 minutes or so, yeah. maybe longer than that. The video itself and is like 
10 to 12 minutes. And he said he like had to edit it down and like speed portions up because it was just it took them a long time. Yeah, so who knows how long he was actually there. <laughs> but, you know, he, he basically waits it out, and these guys walk into the room where he's hiding, mm-hmm. drop all of the loot, and then he sort of slowly picks out the things that are that he knows will be the most expensive to sell and drops them off the side <laughs> of this galleon and then jumps oh. off himself, and his partner <laughs> comes and picks him it's up. It's so good. It's so Yeah, good. it's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just... Like like Riley said, you know, it's not one type of interaction. There's just so much that can happen. And while I certainly wouldn't say no to more content in the game eventually, um, this is still like very new and sort of doing something very interesting for me in the sort of like unpredictability of these interactions that I'm very into at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds fun. I've played... I think I've only played three times myself and I've had, I've gotten some of those interactions, but not a lot of them. Uh, One of the people I play with, Sean, he likes to go hop on people's boats and like pull up the anchor and like sail them off into the sea. And then, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I had somebody do that to me the other day and I was like, seriously, (laughs) we, we did that to someone last night. My, my husband and I were playing and this sloop had been following us for a while. Mm -hmm. We were also in a sloop and I kind of did like a a very close drive by of one of the outposts where you can sell. He jumped off to go sell and the guys noticed him and went for him. And by the time that, you know, they sort of realized what was going on, he had gotten back on their boat, (laughs) pointed their boat in the opposite direction that we needed to go and raised anchor and put sails all the way down. So so it's not like they have to swim off to their boat at that point. A mermaid will eventually show up and teleport you back. But you are going to teleport back to your boat that is facing in the wrong direction and going at high speed, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I I find the game... I'm sort of one of the people who's a little bit more critical of it. Like Mm. I that's just because I'm not really the make your own fun kind of game fan. Like Mm. I'd rather it have that content for me. Like I have had fun, but it's all been because of other people or who I was playing with. Like I did try once by myself, although that was the first time I played. And the game has a complete lack of tutorial. So yeah, the first problem <laughs> and was- And a high learning curve on top of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Like there's a lot of different items and buttons and like you don't mm-hmm. know if you find a skull. Like how are you supposed to know who you take the skull to? Or uh, So yeah, the first time I played by myself, I was like, eh. I don't know if I'm gonna like this but the thing that I do really like is that it is beautiful yeah like my favorite thing to do is get someone else to drive the ship for me and just stand <laughs> on the edge the edge of the beakhead and like drink and have naps and stuff <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I mean, I really love just sailing in it, too. It's It feels very good. Like, catching the wind with your sails is just a fun experience. It looks amazing. I was actually really worried that I would feel seasick playing the game because I do have a tendency to sort of um, get get those sort of symptoms from from games that are sort of high in movement, especially if they're first person like this. Mm-hmm. But so far, knock on wood, I really haven't had an issue while playing. I do have a little bit of an issue trying to get like 
my sea eyes or, or rather my <laughs> land eyes or my land legs back when I'm done because if I stop playing the game but I'm still sitting in front of the computer when I finish, I feel a little bit like I'm rocking back and forth oh. or something. But <laughs> I found that I, I'm fine when I'm actually sailing but especially when you're carrying a treasure chest and running around, uh. I found that a little bit nauseating uh, because the field of view is so small. Although mm-hmm. I changed that and it got a lot better. But that was the... I definitely have a hard time anytime my character is carrying something mm. and therefore, yeah, like limiting your your vision. Yeah. It, that, don't know why, don't know the science behind it, but it makes it so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> There is this, there is a slider for that, so you can maybe, if you increase that, it might get better for you. I will check that out. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, so Orkchop wanted to know if we wanted to share any tales of adventure, and he also asked if it's fun solo or if it's only fun multiplayer. I don't know if you guys have played solo at all. Uh, yeah, I've done I've done both. Yeah, me too. The solo stuff I actually really like, uh, especially when I'm just like, uh. Uh, I don't know if I want to, like, worry about having another person. Like, I usually play with my brother or with uh, Zufi. So when either of them are busy <laughs> or doing something else, um, then I'll just hop on by myself. And I actually really like being by myself. The only problem is when you encounter someone else and you have, like, maybe you've finished, like, two or three missions and... My the level that I'm at right now with my gold missions, I get like four or five chests to dig up per mission. So I end up having like ten chests um, of varying value. And so I see somebody else, and I'm like, no. And I just go in like the complete opposite direction. And like last night, I had someone chasing me for a good, I would say, a good like half hour, forty five minutes. And like I mentioned this on twitter but i really like the way that sailing feels so i was like i can fucking i can keep going forever if you just want to chase me (laughs) and i ended up actually like hiding behind some rocks that were really tall and i watched Mm -hmm. them sail in one direction and i put my sails up and i went in the other direction so i was like hopefully i didn't see i didn't see them for the rest of the night so either they completely gave up or they just did something else but stuff like that is kind of uh, is pretty good, but then, like, on the other hand, you have people that can just take over your ship super easily. Uh, like, I pulled into another island, and there were these two guys there that were fighting, like, a skeleton boss, and they abandoned the skeleton boss immediately and came after my ship mm-hmm. and just, like, killed me and then sent my ship in the opposite direction. So, I mean, <laughs> it depends on who you come across, really. Yeah. But, yeah, like, for yeah, solo Yeah, I, I feel pretty much the same way about solo stuff. Like, yeah. it... It's really relaxing until it's incredibly stressful. Yes. (laughs) That's basically about the addition of more people because, you know, it's easy on a sloop to to do everything you need to do to keep the ship going the way it needs to go by yourself. It Mm -hmm. really is not a two-person job. However, the second that you are in any kind of engagement where, you know, you either need to worry about, like, maybe firing cannons Mm -hmm. or, you know, shooting long range at them with, like, the sniper rifle or something, and also keep an eye on where you're going, especially if you're trying, like, any type of sort of you know, defensive maneuvers to try and, like, get away from them or avoid their cannons. Like, it becomes a lot to keep track of very quickly. And 
It's also just the loss of a second pair of eyes Mm -hmm. is difficult because it's harder to keep an eye out on the horizon 100% of the time, especially when you stop at an island and get distracted trying to, you know, do whatever objectives you have there. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just very easy for people to sneak up on you. And then turning in your stuff is is stressful <laughs> because like like Riley said, you know, once you get to a point where you're doing missions where you're bringing back, you know, multiple chests or multiple skulls, you can only carry one item at a time mm-hmm. in Sea of Thieves. So that's one trip back and forth from your boat to the vendor for every single item in your hold. Mm-hmm. And the longer you're at the outpost, the greater chance somebody's going to spot you mm-hmm. or try to come in there to sell their stuff as well. And when you don't have somebody else you know, to either stay on the ship and keep a lookout or just as an extra pair of eyes as you're, you know, ferrying things back and forth. Like, that's a very stressful process when you're alone. Yeah. And I find Mm. outposts in particular are where people are more willing to engage because either you don't have anything to lose or you're trying to protect what, like, what you're trying to turn in. So it's like super high stakes (laughs) battles that can happen at outposts, which is like, can be really frustrating, but at the same time can be really good if someone attacks you and you've already turned in all your stuff. And you're like, yeah. whatever, like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you picked a fight with the wrong pirate right. <laughs> I have nothing to lose. Yeah. I haven't had any fights with other people so far. Oh, no? Oh. No, I've... Uh, shot at some ships and had some ships shoot at me, but, like, I've never come face-to-face with someone uh-huh. and... And had to shoot them. Once I killed a shark. Nice. <laughs> it killed Sean as he was coming back to our boat. And I was like, I'll avenge you. And I just shot, <laughs> shot the shark. <laughs> uh, I didn't, like, one of the first times that I played with my brother, I didn't realize that there were sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was swimming back from a shipwreck. And some, like, to me, something behind me, like, chomped me. And I, like, I screeched into the microphone. And my brother was like, what the hell? Like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. Something bit me. And he was like, it's a shark. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. But it was really scary. And they take off, like, half your health in a bite, which is more than basically any other enemy in the game does, too. So it's like, you really got to... You got to make a decision <laughs> when that happens. Uh, I think I've played a few times with three people. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever played with four, which so far is the maximum amount of people that you can have. And part of the reason is because as soon as you have more than two people, you have to go on the bigger ship, which is the Galleon. Mm. And uh, I've talked with Zufi about this <laughs> a lot because... <laughs> Uh, moving from the sloop, which is like the two player, uh, or single player smaller ship to the galleon is a big jump, especially if you're adding just one more person. And it's, it's a lot. There's two extra sets of sails. There's six more cannons. Uh, there's two decks below the main deck and... Um, you can't see the map easily the way that you can in the sloop, so you have to send someone down to go look at it. Mm. It turns super slowly. Like, it's... It takes exponentially longer to do things like raise the anchor and turn the sails or raise the sails. Like, all of that is so much slower than on the sloop. Mm -hmm. Like, it might be okay if you had four people that 
like knew what they were doing, had been playing for a while, who, you know, maybe could do things without being told or like react mm-hmm. quickly where they are told. But yeah, it's, I don't know, the bigger ship I'm not super into just because I really like how fast the sloop is. So I think it's pretty smart from a balance perspective to make it so much of a, in some ways, to make it so difficult to move up to that because mm-hmm. just having four people, you have such an advantage over somebody on a sloop in that way yeah. because, you know, you can pull up an, to an island and just send one or two people to do the objective on that island and everybody else stays on the boat, you know, mm-hmm. and just keeps an eye out or gets ready or whatever the case may be. Um, so I don't I don't think it's a bad design necessarily to have the galleon be so sort of intentionally inefficient. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily make it fun to play. Although the few times that, um, you know, we've played together with three people on a galleon, mm-hmm. as long as it's three people who really sort of understand what they need to be doing, it's not too bad. Yeah. And it is nice because you can carry so much more and it's just a general feeling. I don't know. I feel a thousand percent more <laughs> secure when I'm on a galleon than when I'm on a sloop. Like, yes. I know that people either won't mess with me or if they do, like we had this experience where we were turning in at an outpost and a sloop, I think, also was turning in. And I very much suspect that the guy on the sloop was about to log off and just decided to kind of like <laughs> pick a fight for the hell of it, you know? Yeah. So he sort of pulled up alongside our galleon and shot at us maybe once or twice with his cannons. And we just fired <laughs> off probably like one or two salvos essentially from the row of cannons on that side. And that sloop went down. Oh. <laughs> like, I mean, it was so immediate. It was so fast. And seeing that, even if the guy had kind of thrown that fight, you know, made me feel like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) If we face another galleon, that might be a bit of an issue. But other than that, you know, I just felt very much like we're in a good place. I feel safe with our treasure here. (laughs) So, (laughs) But I know Riley and I had talked about, I think it would be really fun to have – a ship in between these two, mm-hmm. you know, that's maybe for two to three people, and then the galleon could be for like four to five, because mm-hmm. it does feel like maybe there's, maybe there should be a step between these two things, yeah. because the feel, just the like visceral feel of sailing the galleon and doing what you have to do <laughs> on it is so different than being on the sloop. Interesting. I, as I said, just drink and (laughs) nap on the deck so I feel bad now because I was in a party with three people on a galleon and I didn't do shit (laughs) other than sometimes pull the anchor up (laughs) have you at least played an instrument while you've been drunk oh yeah for sure okay (laughs) yeah the the first time that I did that I was with Zupi and was it was Mike with us too I think so, yeah. Yeah, and so I played it. It was like the most off-tune thing I've ever heard. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) Once I was was drunk playing an instrument, and I just died out of nowhere. Like, I guess maybe a cannonball hit me or whatever. But uh, Sean's wife was in the room with him while he was playing, and she was like, maybe her liver died. Maybe. <laughs> I also sometimes fall off the ship, so. Yeah. 
I've done that. I mean, being once. drunk in Sea of Thieves is no joke. It mm-hmm. is it's really one of the most intense. Yeah. yeah, like it it physically moves your character. Like you can't walk straight, yeah. and you also can't really stand still. I mean, it is it's a heck of a thing, especially when you're already dealing with sort of rolling back and forth on the ocean as is. That's mm-hmm. true. The game has a lot of sort of cool little things to discover like as much as the sort of three main quest kind types are a little repetitive uh it's nice to like discover those things like um playing music to the chest of sorrow or to snakes or things like that it's Mm -hmm. like all these just sort of cool little things to find out about the game Mm -hmm. and i'm still waiting to see a kraken so <laughs> we got we to find one, one yeah. the other day. Yeah, we uh, drove into it by mistake. Yep. But yep. We were all playing off. music at the same time and didn't. Oh, that's notice. right. Yeah, we we're like, wait. And I was it's convinced so we had summoned What's it happening? somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it was really scary, though. Like they, I don't know. The water turns like all black. It gets and dark. Then yeah, it's like. These tentacles just shoot up out of the water. I want to know what it looks like from a distance because I think it would look like really cool. But I don't want to try it, but I want to go under the water and see if you can see it. Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <No> <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to something else. Riley, what have you been doing aside from Sea of Thieves? <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, last weekend, we actually invited Pam and mm-hmm. two of our other friends um, that live in the Toronto area to our apartment to come see, like to come watch the Overwatch League finals. Um, so, uh, yeah, we had a bunch of people over and uh, it was really cool because the last time we did that, I think, was for the World Cup at your place, Pam? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that was really good, even though my team didn't make it into finals at all. Mm. It's okay. No. <laughs> Poor soul. They always start so well, and then they just, mm-hmm. yeah. something happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, I think that was probably one of the better days of Overwatch that I've ever watched. Between Philadelphia coming out of nowhere um and reverse sweeping London of all teams and then going up against New York and doing pretty well against them as well like it just was such an exciting day of of matches and the new format that they have where the finals aren't played on the same day as the semifinals was mm. such a good idea because it would have been so long because it seemed like every single map went to 5 like every time yeah but gosh it was just such a good such a good day of games like i the plays were so good and like constantly we were just like oh my gosh i can't believe he got that headshot like i can't believe that like (laughs) oh it was just so good it was so good yeah i really like the first game especially it was nice to see one of the non-korean teams do well (laughs) for once uh yeah i really i really enjoyed the first game especially it was a lot of a lot of fun. I was really kind of hoping for Gladiators to make it into Me the too. final three there. <laughs> I was ready for another, like, uh, Fisher versus London narrative, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but I was I was excited for Philadelphia, too. They, they played amazingly well. And as a New York fan, I was very happy 
that somebody eliminated London because <laughs> God knows New York doesn't seem to know how to beat them. So. <laughs> yeah. I remember it like at one point, uh, Philadelphia subbed in, I think, Snillo mm-hmm. for EQO. Uh, and at first I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. Like, you guys have been doing so good with, with this lineup. I don't know why you would change it. And then, like, a completely like made me eat my words because <laughs> Snillo played amazingly like I I was so impressed and I found it really interesting like when you compare was it uh Sinatra on San Francisco Shock who like also just turned 18 <clears throat> when you compare the amount of fanfare that Sinatra got for turning 18 to <laughs> what Snillo got which was basically just like happy birthday kind of tweet <laughs> um <laughs> And Get then, on stage. It's your time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then, like, the performances that both of them had, I, like, mm-hmm. it's just, to me, that's a pretty interesting narrative um, for all of the kids that are turning 18 <laughs> that can finally play now. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm. Snillo, like, he killed it. Like, he was mm-hmm. such a good yeah. distractor, and, like, I don't think he got, like, you know, as many, like, super flashy plays, but he was... Like, really good at getting, like, right into their back line and, like, harassing the healers, harassing tanks, and then, like, disappearing. He was gone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was definitely, like, easily one of the players that I was most impressed by. And, like, pleasantly surprised by because I didn't even know he was going to be on the roster. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was really happy. Yeah, I hadn't, I really hadn't heard of Snillo, mm-hmm. whereas Sinatra was, you know, one of the major players uh, for the U.S. team during the World Cup this past year mm-hmm. at BlizzCon. So, you know, everybody kind of knew who he was. Uh, similarly, I thought it was interesting that uh, Flower, who is a Korean player on MYXL, who has been signed the entire season but hasn't been able to play yet because he doesn't turn 18 until, I think, May something. Yeah. Um, and when the commissioner of the Overwatch League decided that, you know, we have to have like a hard cutoff date for people who are turning 18 this year, but we want to say like, okay, if you don't turn 18 before this day, then you don't get to play in this season at all. Mm. And unfortunately, that was the case for Flower. So he recently moved down to uh, XL2, which is NYXL's affiliated uh, contenders team. And so he's actually been getting to play now, you know, in in official games, essentially for the first time this season. Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of interesting. I haven't watched a whole lot of contenders yet because, frankly, the main games (laughs) are already enough time, you know, in the week. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I, I've caught maybe one or two games uh, that Flower was in. And it's it's nice to see him to pl- getting a chance to play too, because he was uh, the Widowmaker on South Korea's mm-hmm. team uh, during the World Cup that I think everybody was just so, so amazed by, because he did such a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not sure, you know, in the future... Who, what exactly his role on NYXL will be because it seems like his hero pool is essentially Sabiobi's hero pool. So I don't know if he'll just be backup or or what they'll do there. Hmm. Or maybe when Sabiobi retires to be a Minecraft pro, that's what <laughs> will take over. <laughs> uh, so the other thing that happened in Overwatch since we talked last was that the um, the Code of Conduct came out. Oh, yeah. Anyone have any thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, yikes. Yikes. I think that sums it up. Yeah. 
Because we we talked in our when we had Maddie on for our Overwatch episode about sort of code of conduct, but this whole contract came out that was not only the code of conduct, which was kind of vague, which is probably expected in terms of player behavior, but in terms of like what they're contractually obligated to do and what they've basically given up the rights to by mm-hmm. being a part of Overwatch League. <laughs> so the f- the full version that got released, that wasn't released officially, right? No, it was that was like leaked like, like a draft version yeah. from early on. So we don't know exactly how much of that stayed in, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I I don't like what I read of it, but it's also sort of difficult for me to have a concrete opinion about it because I don't know what code of conducts, uh, y- you know, look like for other sports as well. Mm-hmm. But definitely the thing that sort of probably made me the most uncomfortable were some of the statements that sort of allow for almost a reality series yeah. type thing when yeah. I, I feel like we already are seeing the remnants of that with the way that some of the like PR managers and social media teams <laughs> <LA>. are handling. <laughs> yeah. Right. Valiant um, are handling that kind of content for their teams. Yeah. And, you know, on the one hand, I love being able to get to know these players a little bit better. It has, hands down, being engaged with the players themselves and liking them as people is what has gotten me sucked into Overwatch League more than I expected to be. Yeah. Um, but they're also like 18-year-old kids for the most part, and so it's hard to feel okay with sort of watching you know, just to call out Valiant, mm-hmm. obviously, like watching an 18-year-old kid have a very serious conversation about the future of his career, which is like, the you know, a lot of these kids have like delayed or left college yeah. for this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's hard to watch that and go like, oh, yes, this is fun media that I'm consuming, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I there was some parts of it, like the ability for Blizzard Activision to use their likenesses and names and things like I think that fairly standard i mean sure like with the kids who end up on you know ncaa covers that don't get compensated yeah you know exactly but the things that bothered me was about you're not allowed to voice any political opinions and Mm. you're not allowed to recommend any non-blizzard games games on stream (laughs) or or publicly oh yeah i think they tried to do that thing that like league of legends tried to do that at one point too right where you can't stream any other games that aren't you know in this case that aren't blizzard games but Mm -hmm. presumably that hasn't stayed in because i've certainly watched them streaming other things just in the last week yeah Hmm. so okay but but i agree i mean you know it kind of seems like one of those situations where it's like well let's throw everything into this contract and see what sticks Mm -hmm. and i know there was some i i read somewhere that some of you know what changed was based on player feedback um and so hopefully the players really got some say in crafting this thing that they had to agree to. Um, I don't know. I don't know. If I think too hard (laughs) (laughs) about, especially because they're young, and I know a lot of athletes are young, but there's there's just something a little uncomfortable about It sort of feels like these kids don't have a clear advocate because Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like their teams 
necessarily fill that position either, mm-hmm. like the the management of their teams. Especially with the way that some of them are behaving. It yeah. certainly does not seem that way. Kai. Kai Kai. Looking at you, <laughs> Dallas Fuel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, in sports, a lot of players have agents, and I think that's certainly something mm. I would probably like to see come to Overwatch League. Mm-hmm. A player's union, perhaps, something along those lines, or both. But I just want to make sure that these kids have a way to protect themselves as necessary. Mm-hmm. Because certainly the, you know, most sports you don't get to play for very long, Mm -hmm. but it seems like esports people really retire out of within like five years maximum. Yeah, like 25, 26 is considered like old. Right, exactly. (laughs) So players Um, like Jaehong and Doc are both like considered to be, you know. At the end of their careers, (laughs) essentially. Yeah. And then your options are like move into coaching, move into casting. But obviously there are limited positions in both of those roles. Not that I think Jae Hong, for example, is going to have any issue getting a a position once he decides to retire. But, um, you know, it's just it very much seems like the kind of field where you have got to have an exit strategy and know where you're going to go when your skills kind of stop being relevant. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to what else I've been doing. Uh, what's been taking up most of my time lately is Darkest Dungeon because Yay. I have a lack of self-control. <laughs> I've, put, I've probably put about 120 hours into Darkest Dungeon on PC. Whoa. Wow. And the other day I was on the Xbox store. And I was like, oh, look, Darkest Dungeon is on Xbox now. Purchase. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, so I've been playing that again. Uh, my f- first couple tries at it, like on PC, resulted in me rage quitting and cursing the <laughs> game's name. Uh, it's very difficult. It's like a turn-based dungeon crawler strategy game, except there's so much stuff you have to worry about as you're dungeon crawling, <laughs> like each person has a certain position that they work best in like there's four slots and they can only do certain attacks from certain positions and they can only attack certain enemy positions from with certain abilities uh so there's that to worry about there's diseases there's like psychological effects of dungeon delving and fighting monsters that you have to worry about uh in addition to just like the damage and stuff uh oh and also stress if you get fully stressed you can have a heart attack and die (laughs) uh there's like 12 maybe different classes of characters so the first few times i played it it was just so punishing in that when your heroes die like there's just like a never-ending source of new heroes but you have to level them all up in Mm -hmm. order to do anything again so by the time i got to doing the darkest dungeon, which is like the final dungeon in the game. You know, your characters would go in. If they all died, they'd be gone forever. You'd have to like level new ones up. And it just took so, so long. You probably know this, but just in case anybody doesn't, when you level up the stagecoach, which is where you get new heroes from, Mm -hmm. the more you level it up, you'll start to get heroes that come in that aren't at level zero. Like you'll get level one or level two heroes. So that's... A reason to level up the stagecoach, but it never really made me feel any less 
you know, furious when I lost a full party. So Yeah, so there's that, which is good. And there's also a big uh, gold component to it. So if you want to level up your character's gear or their abilities, it all costs gold. So if you get those sort of pre-leveled characters from the stagecoach, they also already have the leveled up abilities. So you save um, gold as well as time, not having to keep grinding to get them up so much. But a while ago, they introduced a mode called Radiant Mode, which was fantastic. It doesn't really make the game easier. It just makes it faster. So people like get XP faster. Um, One of the big things originally was that if you took heroes into the darkest dungeon, they would never go back there again. They'd be like, nope, that was awful. (laughs) Peace. Uh, Whereas now you can send the same heroes back in there again, although they get a whole bunch of stress when you do it. And you can also get heroes in the stagecoach up to level four, which is nice. So I've just basically been playing that all month. I beat the first two dungeons in the darkest dungeon, which is the farthest I've ever gotten the game. So I'm hoping after probably 200 total hours, one day I'll be able to say I've actually (laughs) finished the game. (laughs) Have you played any of the uh, Crimson Court DLC? I did. Um... I haven't picked that up yet, so I'm I'm just trying to make up my mind if I want to or not. (laughs) They, I really like, it's got a new class, the Flagellant, Mm -hmm. which uh, he does a lot of bleed attacks, and he can also, like, take other people's bleeds, and he's an amazing (laughs) healer if he's down under 50% health. Uh, So I like him, but I actually, when I was playing through it this time, I turned off the rest of the Crimson Court. When you do that, there are these enemies who will give you, I forget what it's called, but they'll basically make your hero a vampire and they <laughs> they need to like consume this blood that you pick up as an item in dungeons. Uh, if they don't, they'll sort of waste away and die. And that was just like another another thing to manage. And I was like, it's right. too much. I just want to <laughs> finish it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think it's worth it for the extra class, but I don't. I don't really like the, the the extra disease or whatever they add to the mm-hmm. game. So, uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing. I know you've played it. Have, did you ever manage to beat it, Zuby? No, no. And I actually haven't even really gone into the Darkest Dungeon oh. portion of it either. I, you know, I played probably too conservatively. Mm. <laughs> but I, I loved it for the bit that I played. And part of what I liked was it's a game that doesn't require a whole lot of resources. So I could, and it's also a game that you can pause whenever you want and step away from. So mm-hmm. it was a perfect game for me to put on my work computer. Uh. <laughs> so, so it was kind of my background thing to do when I had downtime. But yeah, it is just, I, I mean, I loved it. But when you lose a whole team, mm-hmm. man, does it take a minute to come back to the game and be like willing to play again? Yeah, yeah, and it and it just it can turn on a dime. Like you're doing yes. really well, and then all of a sudden, one character gets afflicted and gets abusive and just starts stressing out everyone else in the party and just like crumbles from there. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I really like that it's sort of, um, as much as it's kind of can be mentally strenuous, it's, mm-hmm. I like turn-based games for that reason. Like, if I want to just put the controller down and 
go walk my dog or go get a drink or whatever or watch right. a YouTube video, <laughs> I can do that without feeling like I'm messing up the game. I know there's also a pretty robust um, Steam mod community for it too, including mm-hmm. mods that will like bring down the difficulty level or like make specific things easier. So for example, one of the things that's extremely limited is your inventory space. And you will, you know, basically anywhere past like the first level of dungeons, you're going to have to make decisions about what's going to come with you and what isn't in terms of like the rewards that you get. Yeah. And so there are mods that'll give you like more inventory space or make um, certain currencies stack up higher so you can bring more of them out. Uh, I really haven't messed around with any of it at all, but I know there's like a lot of that if you're interested in the game, but maybe want to find some ways to make it a little less infuriating <laughs> at times. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. If I if relics could stack past six, that would be really yes. nice. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things you can get on there, so. Awesome. All right. Uh, Zufi, what else have you been up to? Let's see. I just finished up two TV shows, which I think are done for the season, uh, The Alienist, and then the second season of American Crime Story, which was about the murder of Gianni Versace. Mm. Um, And those were both fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, The Alienist is a novel I've been wanting to read for a while, and I kind of Knew I wasn't going to get to it right away, so I decided, oh, what the heck, I'll go ahead and watch the TV series. And it started out, basically it started out in a way that I thought was going to have a lot more interesting things to say about sort of queerness and queer identity in that time period. And then it just really didn't have anything to say about that. And I think ended up especially toward the end, feeling like a very sort of formulaic serial killer story. Hmm. Um, And it wasn't, it was never sort of a boring watch. I don't feel like I wasted my time watching it, but I don't feel like I got much interesting out of it either. So, or or anything sort of new, I guess. That's too bad. I'm probably going to watch it when it comes out on Netflix. I think it comes out Mm -hmm. next month. But I read the book like, 15 years ago so I always like is it worth the read um I think so I it was 15 (laughs) years ago so that's fair (laughs) I liked it at the time I gave it four stars on Goodreads (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) I'm still planning to read it eventually so we'll see if I feel any differently about that than I did about the tv series and then um the Versace American Crime Story You know, I watched uh, the first season, which was about the O.J. Simpson trial, and that was phenomenal. You know, great acting, great writing, a really, really good season of TV. This one um, was a little different. You know, it really spent a lot of time kind of focusing on what the community for gay men and largely closeted gay men was like in the early 90s. Um, And in that sense, it was definitely something different than than what I've seen on TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really sort of explored that community and that kind of uh, those relationships uh, in a different way. In the end, I think I felt a little uncomfortable that it focused so hard uh, on the guy who killed Versace Mm. and and really – spun a relatively sympathetic 
um, story for him that, you know, is kind of so part of part of the controversy around this season is that in general, we don't really know a whole lot about that guy. Um, However, there's sort of one book that was written that this series is based off of um, that, you know, has been kind of widely disputed by a variety of parties. So we don't exactly know how accurate that book is. But, you know, they leaned hard on it for this season because it it makes an interesting story to watch. Hmm. And so I think... You know, especially toward the end of this season, it really came around to feeling like it was being quite sympathetic to this guy. And I just wasn't totally sold that he deserved that. So, you know, but it was still, again, an interesting watch. I I do like American Crime Story in general. I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the future. I know there's plans for like a season about um, something involving Hurricane Katrina and like, uh, there's a couple others they've talked about in the works as well, but I definitely didn't like it as much as I liked the first season about the the OJ trial. Yeah, I really liked the um, OJ season, and I assume like all of Ryan Murphy's stuff, it's basically the exact same cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, surprisingly, I didn't see quite as many repeats oh. as usual. Um, Ricky Martin is actually in it. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so there's uh, some some new pe- some new faces in there, I guess. And Sarah Paulson nowhere to be seen. So. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Surprisingly enough, huh. but it definitely felt like it was Ryan's sort of ode to being uh, a gay man in the '90s in a lot of places. Right. And and that was, you know, really a different perspective and something that was interesting to watch and involved a lot of really good music choices, among <laughs> other things. So, Okay, so that brings us to our main topic for today, which is Annihilation. If you don't know, Annihilation is a film based on the novel by Jeff Vandermeer of the same name. It is book one in the Southern Reach trilogy. And the movie was written and directed by Alex Garland and stars Natalie Portman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, and Tuva Novotny. Oh, and Oscar Isaac. Can't forget him. (laughs) (laughs) It's about... It's actually kind of difficult to explain what Annihilation is about. (laughs) (laughs) A bubble, or the shimmer, as they call it in the movie, has sort of appeared in the United States, and it's just like a barrier over this area of land that sort of changed everything within it. And they keep sending teams of people inside to find out what's going on, but almost nobody comes back. So this movie follows a group of five women who are sort of the latest team to go into Area X, as it's called, to investigate. Uh, Riley, I want to hear from you first because (laughs) you did not read the book. No, I didn't. So I guess everything you would have known was from the trailer, probably. What? Did you expect from the movie and or did you have expectations? <laughs> um, I think I like I was kind of expecting not what I got. <laughs> um, I was expecting like going into this area and like more I think more exploration um, and like getting into what exactly was going on and maybe seeing like more of the effects of the shimmer. Like, we did see some uh, examples, but I wanted, like, I wanted more of the weird stuff. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know. I was just, I was kind of disappointed with like the, I guess, like, quote, explanation at the end of like kind of what was at the lighthouse. I was like, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I didn't, I kind of went into it with not a lot of expectations because I watched maybe like one trailer and I was like, well, I kind of want to support it because. Uh, of what the cast uh, represents, like a pretty diverse group of women, like all women um, going to explore this place when usually, um, I think they mentioned this in the in the movie too, that like they've sent in soldiers and this time they're sending in like scientists who happen to all be women. Um, but I thought that was really cool. But I mean, like I, I wanted like, uh, like more, more like fantastic weird stuff and like maybe a little bit more horror-based stuff, too, because I did like the weird, like, creepy bear thing. Hmm. But I wanted, like, more of that, too. So, I don't know. And, like, the weird, like, when they get to the army base or whatever, like, (laughs) like, so creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, I love that kind of stuff. So, like, that those were, like, probably, like, the higher points for me was all the weird shit that was happening. And then, like, the other stuff was kind of just, like, I don't, I want more. (laughs) Uh, Zufi, what about you? What did you, uh, did you have expectations based on the book or were you assuming it would be a little bit different? So I saw the trailer like sometime at the end of last year and decided to read the book because I Mm. saw the trailer. (laughs) Uh, So it was pretty fresh in my mind when I finally got to see the full movie. In some ways, so the book is much more abstract than Mm. the movie is in terms of not giving you very many answers and sort of not knowing what's real and what's imagined from moment to moment. It's very much like sort of dreamscape and sort of consciousness writing that I don't, I don't have an issue with that sort of style of writing. However, I think I might not like it with my sci-fi so much Mm. because I spent a lot of the book really just wanting to know what's happening Mm. like tell me why this is happening and what the exact effects are and you know what the impact is essentially so I was really curious to see how that was going to get translated to a movie Mm -hmm. and by and large I wasn't super disappointed because I thought that we got a lot more sort of concrete examples and explanation kind of I guess than I saw in the book although I will say I it was a movie that was almost perfect to me up until the end (laughs) and then I just despised kind of every moment from the lighthouse on yeah but I think that I I don't know exactly what my expectations were except for an overall sense of like curiosity of like how are they going to do this because when I read the book it was clearly not something that could be a direct translation to a movie and I think that what they did was a pretty good compromise between keeping sort of the spirit and the feeling of what's going on in the book without being able to literally put that on the screen. Mm. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think the word you use, abstract, is the perfect (laughs) descriptor for the book because nothing was concrete. It was all very much about the protagonist's, like, feelings and what she was thinking, not necessarily anything that was that understandable. Um, I mean, a lot of the book was 
took place in what she called the tower, although it was actually more of a tunnel into the ground. And like a lot, a lot of the description was just in that one single place that wasn't really Mm -hmm. even in the movie at all. Hmm. No. So I'm glad that Alex Garland took the approach that he did where he sort of took the feeling of it, but the events for the most part were new and original. That's interesting. Yeah, because I I didn't know how they were going to adapt the book. So Mm -hmm. I like how they did that. And they also took some from the second book, which is called... I'm literally reading it right now, Authority. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I haven't read the other two in the trilogy yet, but I think I probably will Mm -hmm. at some point. Yeah, because Authority takes place at the Southern Reach, so like in the actual science building where they send the people out from and it covers the parts from the movie where you saw uh, Natalie Portman being questioned about what happened in the shimmer so it includes that and then just a lot of things going on from there so the movie did include some of the second book in that way Hmm. but they also changed a lot there too I think in the in the movie uh, Natalie Portman, whose name is Lena, sh- her husband had gone into the Shimmer and he had been missing for a year and then he came back. And I think he was the only person to ever come back in the movie, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, whereas in the book, a couple people had come back. So so what do you think of all the characters in the movie? I love them. I yes, me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Overall, I really I thought it was great casting. Um, I thought everybody really played a really sort of essential part in sort of how this team worked together mm. or failed to work together at times. And I I thought it was just really really good to watch in that sense. I had uh, I remember saying when I came out of the theater. I had this sort of immediate reaction to Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac, which was like, I thought they had great on-screen screen chemistry. I thought they did really well together. But like my Star Wars brain was like, oh, no. they shouldn't. Okay. So legitimately, Oscar Isaac. So Poe is in no way related to the Skywalkers. And I get that. But in my head, he's like, kind of Leia's adopted son. So the whole, like, you know, his grandmother essentially uh, being Natalie Portman, I came out of the thing with this, like, vague, like, incestuous feeling about that (laughs) that I couldn't shake, which is ludicrous, right? But, like, I couldn't get over that, like, I don't think Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac should really be doing this. (laughs) (laughs) I really like the shepherd character, the geologist, I think. I don't like there's something about her that I was like, man, she's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Plus like her death, I think was probably like like the weirdest and also like the creepiest maybe of all of them for sure, mm-hmm. which I was really appreciative of because I thought that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually really liked Jennifer Jason Lee as Ventress, mm. too. I thought, so, and I'm sure we'll kind of talk about it. There are other aspects of that character that she plays in the book that I really uh, missed from the movie adaptation. Mm. However, mm. I really 
appreciated the way that she played that character because it is somebody who's got sort of a multi-layered and kind of difficult to discern priority or set mm. of priorities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like we got that out of the her performance in the movie. Yeah, I like I couldn't figure out like what her deal was mm-hmm. for the longest time. And then I was like, oh, well, she's got nothing to lose, I guess. So, right. I really like Gina Rodriguez in basically anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the star of Jane the Virgin, which I love. Uh, but I also really like when she takes on these more sort of athletic kind of action-y roles. Uh, mm-hmm. I think she did really good with that. And I really like how uh, her and Tessa Thompson kind of played off each other. Tessa mm. Thompson was a physicist, and she was like the most sort of soft-spoken and kind of, I don't know, I guess sensitive mm. one of the group. And I really liked how her um, how her story ended up going, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get into some heavy spoilers Big at time. some point but i'm <laughs> i'm staying i'm trying to stay a little bit vague for right now uh yeah i really liked everyone in the cast yeah it was also i really like one of the things that they did here which was again comparing it to the book in the book no one trusted anyone no one like there was no sense of camaraderie or anything yeah. uh so i really feel like adding that to the movie did a really good job. I think if if they hadn't have done that, it would have been a very dull time and it would have been difficult yeah. to get to like anyone or be invested in any of the characters. Yeah, yeah, I think it would have been hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And then it also sort of made it feel a little bit higher stakes when people do start becoming paranoid about things mm-hmm. or sort of questioning motivations. Mm-hmm. And I loved Tessa Thompson in this because I felt like I I didn't I, I feel like I've never seen her play a character who was sort of so reserved and introverted mm. the way her character was in this. And you just saw her like her whole body language changed. It was a really phenomenal job that she did in this. Like you could just tell she was the sort of person who sort of closed in on herself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I actually wasn't too familiar with Tessa Thompson until Thor Ragnarok is the last thing yeah. I watched with her. And yeah, that's completely different character. <laughs> right. Uh, so as we go into the movie and people start to get to know each other more, we find out that all of these people basically are here partly because they don't have anything to lose, partly because I think someone in the movie says they're all damaged. Like they all have this baggage that they're carrying and they're using this, uh, I guess, partly to get away from it, but also partly because they're self-destructing in a way. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you put in the show notes, Sufi, is about the addition of the adultery subplot um that was added that's that yeah that that wasn't in the book no correct so what's in the book (laughs) and i love the way this was handled in the book okay because what we get is essentially a very similar depiction of a marriage with a lot of problems Mm -hmm. but in the book it's clear that what's really driving this um is sort of a fundamental difference in personality. And because the book is narrated through the eyes of Natalie Portman's character, 
her feeling is that this distance is her fault because she's just this very sort of closed person. She likes to be alone. She likes to wander off and do things on her own. She doesn't need somebody else, Mm. which isn't to say that she doesn't love her husband. She does, but like there's just a disconnect there. And I think I'm not even doing it justice really because it's so well explained in the book and it was just something that I really liked because I feel like it's not a depiction we get all that often especially from women characters Mm. and so I didn't love the addition of this adultery subplot in the movie um, because while I recognize it would have been exponentially harder (laughs) to sort of explain what I just tried to explain in a movie than it is to be like well she cheated on him you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like it for me, removed a little bit of the depth of both that character and that relationship that you got to see in the novel and just gave kind of a nice little tidy package to be like, oh, well, here's when the marriage went wrong, you know? Mm. Ugh, now that I know that that was added, I I like it even less. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't like it when I saw it in the movie and I don't like it even more now. Man. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's so funny because like, there are more interesting and complex ways that relationships fail, and it doesn't have to yes. be cheating. Like, oh, right. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was weird. Right from the very, I don't know, the second scene or something where the man that she had an affair with invites her over mm-hmm. for like a barbecue or whatever mm-hmm. and like touches her arm. And I was like, what? <laughs> when, yeah, I had the same reaction. Like, like it was pretty telegraphed, yeah. you know, in the movie that this is where we were going, and I was like, "Well, that's a strange choice." Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I kind of found it sort of different in the movie because I felt like all of the scenes that we were seeing with Lena and Kane sort of showed that they had a really good relationship like it all seemed Mm. like she was looking back on it like oh look at my perfect husband I cheated on him I'm the worst Mm -hmm. uh so I didn't yeah I didn't really like that and I also feel like it's not not really needed um I mean they talk about how all the women on the expedition are damaged um Anya was uh like an alcoholic or had substance abuse issues and Josie Raddick had like cut herself, had been cutting herself. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ventress has cancer. Uh, Shepard had lost a daughter. So I just feel like it would have been enough for Lena to just have had her husband mm-hmm. come back from this and, you know, be basically on the verge of death when she leaves him to like that's that seems like enough of a reason to do that in addition to like wanting to know what happened to him him in there yeah or even like the like to change it completely from the book and have it be like she's fed up because he's gone on military missions like that's Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. you know also an easier thing to do than than have the adultery subplot Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I don't really think it added too much to the movie. It was a surprising misstep for me because I feel like, in general, one of the things that the movie was very good about doing was not adding things that didn't need to be there. Mm. And one of the things I appreciated about it was I feel like right now we're in a weird spot where movies feel like if they want to be taken seriously, they have to be at least two hours long (laughs) and maybe two and a half. Yeah. (laughs) 
And Annihilation didn't do that. It was very good at being succinct until it kind of got a little... Uh, <laughs> it, it, it maybe failed a little bit about with that in the last portion, especially in the lighthouse. Yeah. Mm. Um, but in general, it was very good about just telling us what we needed to know, lingering on shots that needed to be lingered on, but in general, moving us along at a pretty good pace. And I think part of that was about finding ways to, again, translate the book, which was not an easy book to translate. And I think that, you know, probably the whole adultery subplot was a nod in that direction of trying to find a way to make things more succinct and to move us along. But unfortunately, I think it added something that didn't need to be there. Yeah, sure. Uh, who put this note in this in the show notes? Took me half the movie to see a white dude and it was great. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just saw it. <laughs> so it's unfortunate that this movie did have the misstep that it did in casting Natalie Portman in uh, the role of a character who should have been Asian, mm. um, which I... Uh, you know, I didn't really know about in advance because that's not really discussed in the first book. I think it's revealed sort of later on in the trilogy. Yeah, it's literally one sentence in oh, really? in book two. <laughs> oh. So I, well, I don't particularly blame anyone for this. I mean, it's too bad. And it certainly would have been great to see, you know, an Asian actor in that role. Because aside from that problem, this was an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. And as I said, it did take me like half the movie for t- to see a white man in this movie. And he was uh, part of an expedition that had been in the Shimmer prior to the expedition that we're watching in the movie. And he plays a very minor role, which is over quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and I, I think, at least as I can recall, he was pretty much the only white guy I saw in this movie. Um, and certainly the bulk of the cast that you spend the most time with are, are all women. Mm-hmm. So that was noticeable yeah. for me, sitting there in the theater watching it, and I liked it a lot. It was a, a really refreshing change. Uh, okay. Let's talk about one of the other things that was uh, a fairly big change from the book is that in the books, there's a big focus on hypnosis. Uh, You find out that all of the people who go into the shimmer are put under hypnosis and given these sort of uh, trigger words to make them do things, like to make them compliant or to make them forget. Or the title, Annihilation, if that's told to someone, it wishes make them kill themselves. So that's a big part of the book, which is completely absent from the movie. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought that was bizarre not to include that because it was, I mean, first of all, like you said, the title of the book is derived from this, you know, it's not, it is not a small component of the book. Part of uh, some of the tension in the novel is about the fact that the main character realizes and somehow sort of becomes resistant to uh, this this mental conditioning. And it's the psychologist character, who's uh, Jennifer Jason Lee in the movie, she is the one who has this control over the other women in the party. Oh. And for whatever reason, Lena is kind of able to shrug this off. And so 
immediately when you're reading the novel, there's this level of distrust, which, you know, we have other reasons to kind of question the psychologist's motives in the movie, but there's not this sort of fundamental paranoia that you get in the novel. I was really sad to see that missing because it did seem so integral to the story. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I mean, I guess, I, I imagine there's probably enough else going on that I can kind of see why this ended up on the cutting room floor, but I think it could have I don't know. I was sad to see it go because I thought it was pretty essential to what was going on. Yeah, they could have cut the affair and put the hypnosis back in. <laughs> right, yeah. But I think some of it was in translating the novel into something that had to be more literal. You know, part of what they got rid of was this sort of constant internal struggle of like what's real and what isn't real because I think that's harder to to do in a movie than it is in a novel. And so I suspect that's part of why this whole thing got axed, but mm -hmm. it's too bad because it, it is really interesting and adds just another layer of confusion and like suspicion to everything that's going on. Yeah. I, I think what maybe part of the reason is that in the movie, it's very much at a point emphasized that they've all been changing. Like all five of the women who have gone into the shimmer, they've been changed. Whereas in the book, biologist comes into contact with something in the tower and she figures right. that that is what changed her. So then she watches as the psychologist uses one of those words and it impacts the other women in the group, but it doesn't impact her. So uh. I think maybe that ca would cause a problem in terms of doing that. Sure. Yeah. Since they kind of scrapped all of that completely, too. Mm hmm. Um, is there mention of like the tattoos that they end up getting in the book or is that something that No, that's mm -hmm. that's in the movie, mm. yeah. When when Lena starts sort of taking on some of the characteristics of the the party members when they die. Yeah. Although it's weirder than that, right? Cuz she starts getting the tattoo before um that character even dies. So I, I don't know. It's one of those. So I've only seen it once and I can't wait to watch it another two or three <laughs> times because I feel like there are layers of things that I'm going to get on another viewing. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the tattoo also shows up on Kane, I think, doesn't it? It was on the dude that they also like cut open. Oh, on to. him. Yeah. Yeah. The white dude yeah. that doesn't show up until the middle <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> and he only shows up for us to know like what's wrong with him and then he dies. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so let's take a question. This is from Tomix on Twitter. I've been interested in Annihilation for a while, but I have one holdup. I'm a huge wimp when it comes to movies, and spooky and creepy stuff haunts me for days. Would this still be worth watching, knowing it might leave me up later than usual? Is it even that scary? Thanks. Gosh, I mean, I think with the exception of maybe one or two scenes – this this movie is more unsettling than it is sort of traditional horror or scary in that way. However, those one or two scenes are are pretty scary yeah. <laughs> and or pretty gruesome, you know. So, I mean, I think it kind of depends on your tolerance level for that. Like if you if you don't like horror at all and if it's just if that's too much for you generally, then it might not be worth it. Mm -hmm. But 
I mean, it, it is a very good movie, but yeah, there are a couple places where it goes a little more traditional horror in terms of its imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, so there's a couple of different things. There's one which is just basic sort of, I don't know, I wouldn't even call it gore, but, you know, horror yeah. movies. Yes. Gross out, like, yeah. yeah. In a, in, in, and in particular, it's like in a way that I've never seen before. Yes. So on top of it being gory, it was like unsettling and yeah. like, <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, like I instantly you know? was like, was just I went like, and I like wrapped my arms around my stomach and I was like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it was a scene that I kept waiting for it to cut away. And it, it never did. <laughs> nope, yeah. <laughs> Ugh. So another question is from MK Patter, who wants to know how much we hate bears now. <laughs> so I think that's where the other scary thing comes in. Yeah. Because there is yeah. a, a bear, if you can call it that, <laughs> uh, which ends up tormenting the women for you know, a good portion of the movie. Which is also another, like, monster trope that was done in a different way, similar to the first scene, where it's, like, something that, you know, you've kind of seen before, but not not yeah. in that way. The, the bear is amazing. I thought it and was I read a great brilliant. article about the creature <laughs> design for that and kind of where they started from versus where they ended up, let alone the sound design oh. for for what the bear God. does. Mm. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing scene. I, I love that. Probably one of my favorite creature designs that I've seen in a long time mm. uh, in a in a monster movie or a scary movie. So I I loved the bear, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it was a very tense scene. All right, so I think that brings us to sort of, okay, we, I mean, we've kind of been talking spoilers, but like heavy spoilers now. <laughs> Tessa Thompson's character, Radic, she sort of cracks the mystery of the Shimmer, uh, I don't know, around two-thirds of the way into the movie, where she says the Shimmer is a prism that refracts everything inside, including DNA. So this is what she thinks is the cause of everything they've been seeing, species being mixed together. At the beginning, there was a alligator with shark teeth. They see different species of, of flowers all flowering on the same vine. And that is what's happening to the women who are in the shimmer and why sort of they end up changing. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that, the explanation? And are you... Are you happy that it was explained, whereas it wasn't really in the book? I mean, I like – so for as much as I got a little irritated while reading the book because I wanted some concrete information, I felt kind of the opposite about the movie. <laughs> I was I was willing for it to go a little more abstract, except not abstract in the way that it went toward the end of the movie at the lighthouse mm-hmm. because that was just <laughs> – bizarrely obnoxious to me for some reason Mm -hmm. um both like too literal and too nonsense at the same time somehow um but in terms of the prism explanation i find that kind of interesting but it just also doesn't make any sense (laughs) (laughs) and not in like a fun way in like a it's hard for me to reconcile this way Mm. hmm I like the idea of it. I think I just needed, especially from a crew of scientists, I needed uh, a little more explanation, even if it was largely, you know, made up. Yeah, right. 
Uh, Riley, what did you think about the that reveal? Um, I mean, like, I think it would have made sense for, like, when... Because the first thing I thought of was when Lena sees that white deer that has, like, a copy of it kind of behind it that's all, like, messed up and gross. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that kind of fits with that. But then, like, the other stuff that's, like, even weirder, I, I was thinking... I don't know that it would make that much sense for everything else. Um, like it make 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 more sense if it was like a shattered prism that was really fucked up instead of like you know like a traditional prism. Mm. The place where it made the most sense to me, or where it came the closest to persuading me that this was a cool idea, was when they see the sort of humanoid structures that are mm-hmm. shaped like people yeah. but are in fact like vines and flowers and all that and uh lena and and uh, the biologists kind of work together and are explaining like okay so this this is a plant organism but somehow it's gotten messed up with the dna mm-hmm. uh that that in human beings makes us shaped like human beings yeah and like that was the closest i ever got to being persuaded like okay i i see the thrust of this, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's almost not random enough, right? If that's what you're going to do. You know, so we get things like that and then we get, uh, like, the bear that has, that, that somehow ends that up like, with sort of this human voice to it. Yeah. So, like, to me, if it's that jumbled, it's got to be more weird, you yeah. know? yeah. Um, and, and I don't necessarily want that because I actually think it was about the right level of weird from a, from a viewing perspective, but like the explanation kind of didn't fit in that sense. I was fine with that explanation. I agree that once it got to the end, (laughs) I, everything just goes uh, out the window at the end. Yeah. Uh, but I was like fine with the idea of sort of everyone's or everything's DNA swapping around Mm. and everything changing. I mean, I really liked one of the things that Lena said was that things aren't being destroyed. They're just being made into something new. Mm. Yeah. Now, what the cause of that is, like why genes are being refracted, that doesn't really come out. But I thought that that was an okay example. And like the bear and the human-shaped plants were good for that. I also, right after that, was like probably one of my favorite scenes where Mm -hmm. at this point, two people have suffered violent deaths Mm. in the Shimmer. And um, Tessa Thompson's character, she was like, you know, I don't really want to go out like that. And then just like vines start sprouting from the scars on her forearms and she just walks away and becomes a tree (laughs) presumably (laughs) but it's great because it happens off screen right yeah it's like did she or did she just wander off you know Mm -hmm. the implication is clearly that she became one of these things but that's an example where i loved the ambiguity you Mm -hmm. know in in that part of the story so i thought it was cool for her character too because i think that's the first time that you Mm -hmm. see her with like her arms exposed like that and she finally is like no, I'm kind of, I'm okay with this. And she, you know, goes off and becomes something really beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
not too long after that part is where we finally get to the lighthouse, <laughs> which has sort of been where they've been going this whole time. Uh, at the beginning, you see something, maybe a meteor hit the lighthouse, which seems where the shimmer came from in the first place. So as we're going there, I'm still on board. I like the very weird abstract visuals. Mm. Lena's walking by trees that look like they're made out of crystal. <gasps> yeah, that was so cool. Yeah. Uh, which was gorgeous. And then she comes to just like bones buried in strange, strange positions <laughs> in the sand. Uh, but then we get to the lighthouse and everything <laughs> kind of goes to shit. <laughs> and I don't really understand it. And I don't really like it. So she finds the psychologist. I, uh, I don't know. What do you think about the end? Anything even leading up to the Lena double? The one thing I liked, and and I think that the roots of this are in the book too, is this idea that she has no idea who came back to her, right? Yeah. Was mm -hmm. that her husband? Was that something that looked like her husband? You know, And I think the movie is pretty clear that it was a copy of him, yeah. right? That's created by this thing. And the book is definitely not that explicit about it. Mm-hmm. So I liked, like, that's a horrifying thing to think about, right? Yeah. To sort of think about someone who you know so well. And and in the book, one of the things that I found very unsettling is, you know, shortly after he returns, um, they have sex. And, like, the idea of that, mm. especially with the way it's framed in the movie, is just like, Ooh, yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> right? And, and sort of also for the implications of, like, what – what passes between them in that act, right? Yeah. Is there yeah. something about the fact that Lena is intimate with this thing that comes back from from the Southern Reach that gives her the impulse to go there in the first place? Mm -hmm. So I love mm -hmm. I love all the implications of that, right? Because it's just deeply, deeply unsettling. Mm -hmm. I just, I hate the resolution of the psychologist story in this. I hate that we missed out on this sort of great portion in the book where Lena actually comes upon so so the book that you're reading is her journal of her experiences Ooh. while she's in the reach. And this is something that everybody who goes in there is required to do is to keep uh, this yeah. journal. Cool. And one of the things she finds when she gets to the lighthouse in the book is a giant, just giant pile of these journals, like so big that she can climb Whoa, up it. Oh, cool. And they've been told that they're like the like 10th or 12th expedition or something like that. And it is clear from the volume of these journals that that is a lie. There have been far more expeditions than 10 or 12. And that was one of the mo one of my favorite moments in the novel is sort of that realization of how deep the lies are going because of course this is also coupled with everything that the psychologist has been doing and to lose that to this sort of bizarro <laughs> kind of yeah. sound experience with this you know this thing that the psychologist interacts with and then eventually kind of takes into her i just didn't feel like that added anything for me uh -huh. I, it you know again it was both too literal and too abstract at the same time somehow uh and i just i just didn't care for it from from the moment she finds the psychologist down there through the end of the movie i was like well you guys had me and now you don't <laughs> you know 
Yeah. Have either of you played the very first Tomb Raider and gotten to the end portion? No, not the end. Okay, so for me, hearing the explanation of, like, the book thing, that would have been way fucking cooler than what I was imagining in my head because the end of the very first Tomb Raider on, like, PlayStation 1 she comes across, like, a doppelganger that looks kind of like this fucking weird creature in <laughs> Annihilation. Huh. And the way to, like, and you have to, it was doing the exact same things that it was doing in the movie. Like, mirroring her movements. You try to shoot at it, it shoots at you. Like, all these kind of things. So you have to, like, eventually you have to trick it to get out, which I guess she kind of does. Mm-hmm. But the whole time I was like, man, this is just like Tomb Raider. <laughs> but, I like, I wish it was something cooler than that. Because I was so disappointed with with that weird, like, humanoid like shiny dude like i don't know i just wish it was something else yeah i i don't know because part of me is like i like the part where she finds the tape with her husband that was good and and very creepy loved it there's two of them and so maybe it's not him that came back but on the other hand i really liked the idea that things were just changing like i feel like the duplication aspect sort of weakens that Mm. agreed yeah because it's like a different i mean we don't ever get a clear sense of what the priorities are of whatever it is that has made the shimmer happen or if it is just an accident but to me the changing thing versus the duplication thing that speaks to like two different either priorities or mechanisms and yeah, I feel like you weaken something in the process. Yeah, because I don't know. I just feel like it was always just going towards how things are changing. And it would have been okay if it was just her husband came back changed. Maybe he wasn't completely himself anymore uh, or any of them that had been inside the shimmer. But yeah, it, I don't know. It just didn't work. And I really hated the Lena doppelganger thing <laughs> like I, I didn't like that at all yeah. I was more sold on that than I was the the weird entity thing that the psychologist faced but that's like a marginal difference because mm-hmm. I didn't like either of them but I really hated that whole scene with with that thing that the psychologist sees down below the lighthouse yeah. and then at the end of uh, of the psychologist's life she starts saying annihilation and it's just in a completely different context than yeah the title no with no context <laughs> no. honestly like it doesn't because from what we've seen again we don't have a clear motive or whether or even an idea of if it's intentional what's happening here right but if it is intentional the goal is not annihilation the goal is like synthesis or something mm-hmm. so You've you've stripped that of its context, but still insisted on including it in the movie, and now it is a hundred percent nonsensical. Because the way she says it, it makes it sound like like this is your typical alien invasion, and they're gonna wipe humans right. out, which isn't yeah. wasn't the the feeling from anything else in the movie. No. The only way I can get behind it is, you know, you talk about one of the themes of this movie being self-destruction and self-destructive tendencies. And so in that sense, this is like the ultimate self-destructive act for the psychologist, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not what happens to everybody in the party. 
And, you know, so the biologist character, for example, she chooses something other than self-destruction, right? Or, like, chooses self-destruction on her own terms, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you could say the psychologist kind of chooses (laughs) self-destruction on her own terms, too, so. Mm -hmm. But it's very different from what happens to Lena with this sort of duplication thing. I don't know. I just felt like I had a consistent message up until about that point and that I didn't really know what the message was supposed to be any longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not in a fun way, just in a bad way. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think they could have just I – don't, I don't know. I was expecting so much more from The Lighthouse. Um, Me too. And just what we found I think sort of took away – from the movie. I think it's the one place they should have leaned heavier on the source material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so after the lighthouse, Lena comes back from the shimmer somehow. We don't really know how. And she comes back to her husband, who is now fine, it seems, even though he had multiple organ failure <laughs> as she was leaving. Um, and you sort of find out he doesn't think he's himself anymore. And she doesn't know if she's herself anymore. So, I mean, for me, based on what we had seen before at the lighthouse, it was a pretty clear, like, no, these are both just weird alien duplicates. And now they're going to, who knows what they're going to do. But was there any question for either of you? Like, oh, maybe it's still her. Maybe it's just her, but changed, which is what I wanted it to be. But yeah. No, I I was pretty convinced that they're both duplicates at that point. Although I did like the sort of question of that the duplicates aren't even sure. You know, Mm. I I like that aspect of them sort of still feeling like they might be the originals Mm. and what the implications of that might be. But no, I was was pretty confident that that wasn't her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anything else, Riley? I had a bit of a different reaction until like the very end. I don't know why, though. But to me, like, it seemed like she beat that weird thing. So I was like, okay, so she's making it out. But then at the very end, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) 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 Because, like, then, like, her eyes glow, like, the way that his did. And I was like, but she Mm -hmm. did the thing. She, with the bomb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess she didn't. I don't know. So now I'm like, did, did we actually get to see it from, like, her perspective or do we see it from the doubles perspective and they switched like while she was knocked out or something i don't know Hmm. yeah that's actually a good point because she does it seems blow up the double yeah but i mean i guess to me my my guess was that i think it's supposed to be there's some kind of transference that happens Mm -hmm. when they touch each other which is when she transfers the bomb from her hands to the doubles hands oh yeah okay yeah. So I guess just that, a guess, but in that way it, it could be more of a change than a replacement. Hmm. Uh so we've got another question from T Time Sai. Would love to hear your thoughts on the theory that the whole thing is an experiment set up by the government to test out the genetic engineering tools. Uh they also link to an article which I read, which talks about something called CRISPR-Cas9, which is a genome editing tool and their theory is that the government is doing this all so i they mentioned at the beginning that they also did not read the book so from someone who has also not read the book and has read this article at the end they say that there's like missing 
like that they're missing like you know five days time in the beginning after they cross into the shimmer and Mm -hmm. i think rather than like have the theory that they were taken away by the government during that time i think you could probably make a connection to them having been like maybe hypnotized to forget Mm -hmm. that five days something like that but that is only because i heard this (laughs) today (laughs) before that i was like uh i don't know maybe but i i like to believe that the government isn't as insidious as that even though you know they're kind of shitty to begin with (laughs) i think it's a fun theory um i think that the movie is well, I mean, I think the movie certainly points us in a clear direction, though, right? With seeing the comet or whatever this yeah. entity is that falls into the lighthouse in the first place. I think it's definitely pointing all the red arrows at, like, this is an alien thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is certainly a fun theory for it. And, yeah, the the time skip thing is... Again, I'm not even sure exactly why that got included in the movie if they weren't going to do the hypnotism subplot. Yeah, bizarre. Yeah, right, because it does leave you going, like, what's going on? But, I I mean, also, you know, there are aspects of the book that could sync up nicely to this theory as well Mm. with the way that these expeditions are being lied to and controlled and and that sort of thing, so. Cool. I think that government conspiracy is a more mundane explanation (laughs) than, uh, you know, something possibly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Like, I kind of like the vague alien theory more so than something that would be man-made. But you never know. I mean, I also just really like alien theories or stories where it's like, something has gone very wrong, but it's actually not intentional. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so that's why I got kind of irritated by the end of this in part, um, because I don't want this to be like invasion of the pod people or, you <laughs> yeah. know, whatever. Because I really like the idea that, you know, either a piece of technology or like, uh, you know, a meteorite that somehow had like sort of alien genetic code or whatever the case may be it fell here by mistake and infected things and it wasn't militant and Mm. it wasn't intentional but it happened and like now everybody's got to figure that out that that sort of story is way more interesting to me than weird doppelganger invasion stuff yeah Yeah, me too i like the idea that it's not not purposeful it's just something Mm -hmm. that happened one thing in the book that I'm reading now, uh, as they're in the Southern Reach and they're just asking all these questions and coming up with all these theories, and like one of the first questions is like, okay, who made the shimmer? And then who made the entryway into the shimmer? And did the same people make it? It's like, oh, <laughs> good question. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap up, I just want to talk a little bit about the um, just sort of like the visuals and the aesthetic of the movie because mm. I think that's sort of one of the strongest mm-hmm. parts. It has such great imagery, especially around the sort of mixing of genomes, like the beautiful flowers. And one of the images that was most striking was for me was after we see the film of the guy being cut open and then we see him in the pool oh, yeah. and how whatever was inside oh, him yeah. has managed to make its way out and he's basically just not splattered, but like 
<laughs> it's like moss, but like yeah, he's like in. It's as if he's sort of grown apart from himself, right? Yeah. Like all the sort of pieces of him have spread out. Yeah. In this very like organic looking way. Mm-hmm. I also loved places where that same theme was conveyed, but in a more abstract way, right? So like all the shots of things refracting through water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are all these shots of like looking through a glass of water at like you know, Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac's hands or whatever the case may be. There's a couple of different moments like that. And I loved that this theme continued, even when they weren't showing us pictures of literal creatures that have been spliced together, you know. It was it was beautifully shot. It was just really, really good. And that's one of the reasons I want to watch it again is because I'm sure there are more things like that that I just didn't catch the first time through. I also liked how... At the end, it got very kind of 2001-ish, <laughs> where it was very quiet <laughs> right. and just like weird music and visuals and things. Um, and I also really like how they used – I could, from what I could tell, there was only one actual licensed song in the movie, which is Crosby, Stills, and Nash's Helplessly Hoping. And it was kind of just used to tie Lena back to home. Like, I think we first hear it when she's painting her bedroom at home. And um, then I think as they're going into the shimmer, you hear it. And then anytime it's sort of like a flashback. And I really like the difference between that, like, mm-hmm. very sort of folksy song versus the weird, like, Reaper noises in the rest of the movie. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a good way. Uh, I loved it too because that scene where you first get it a lot, which is you know sort of the flashback, and then she's she's doing this cathartic thing finally, right? She's painting her bedroom yeah. after her husband has been missing for a year, and all of a sudden he shows back up while she's doing it. And what I loved about that scene was you know helplessly hoping is this sort of bittersweet love song. There's nothing sinister about it Mm -hmm. but the way that they use it in that scene and it just keeps getting like louder Mm, and louder in this very imposing and unsettling way so that when you see him show up knowing that there's no reason he should showing up and this song that should be sort of comforting or sad uh is is all of a sudden blaring in a way that is like super creepy and and it's just it's a great way to take this scene that could have been very mundane and in some ways should be very mundane and just go, okay, but why do I feel like I'm crawling out of my skin right now? <laughs> you know, it's, it's so well done. Mm-hmm. Riley, any particular scenes or anything that stand out to you? I like the bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me, like, uh, I, like, I was sitting there, like, as soon as they heard um, – uh, so to give, I guess to give some context, if people are listening this far and haven't seen it, <laughs> the party members have been like tied up in chairs because Anya or Anya is starting to like display signs of like paranoia. She finds out that Lena has been lying to them about not knowing who her husband is. So she ties up the psychologist. She ties up Josie. Uh, and Lena. So the three of them are tied up in chairs, and this is after Shepard has already uh, been taken and killed by this bear creature. And outside, you can hear Shepard's voice screaming. 
Um, so like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, I sat like sunk lower in my chair (laughs) Um, and I was like, some fucked up shit's gonna happen. Yeah. Cause you've also at this point in the movie, like Lena goes and she finds Shepard's body. So there's no question in your mind. Shepard is dead dead. for sure. And then Anya goes out to like investigate and she's like, I knew she was alive. Like I knew you were lying to me. And she like runs out. Um, and then you kind of don't hear anything else. And then the bear comes in and this is when you finally get to see it but it is definitely not a bear that's like you know the way that you would picture a bear it's like face is all like it's like its skin has been yeah like melted away almost um and it comes in and it comes up to them and like the undertones of his breath are like like sounds of a woman in pain like just like Mm. moaning in pain and it's like putting its face right up to these women who are tied up still tied up in these chairs and i was like like the whole time i was like oh my god this is the creepiest shit i have ever seen like it was just so good at like using sound Uh, And it was, like, pretty quiet otherwise. It was just the sound of this Mm -hmm. bear, like, breathing. But every time it breathed or, like, made, like, some kind of vocalization, it was the sound of Shepard, like, presumably, I would imagine, like, dying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I thought it was such an effective way to use this kind of sound without showing her, like, dying on screen, like, using sound like that um, to, like really unsettle this group of women who's still sitting there and then also the audience who can't like we can't do anything but we and like we know what that sound means but it was just it was so good it was such a good scene so (laughs) i definitely (laughs) yeah that for me was my favorite even though i learned later that was added like that wasn't a book thing that that's just a movie thing Mm -hmm. but i loved it i thought it was great and when they had that scene that was lena's house right I thought so. I thought so, too. (laughs) It looks the same. It was laid out exactly like their house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I had the same reaction. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. It was so creepy. Oh, man, it was so good. (laughs) (laughs) So just a couple questions. Uh, The first one by Gus Hank Bremer. We've kind of already answered the first part. Uh, if you've read the book, did it live up to expectations? If not, did the movie make you want to read the book? It definitely made me re- want to read the second two. Like, I, I do want to go ahead and do that. And I think that I liked it about as much as I liked the book for completely different reasons. Hmm. <laughs> mm. I, like, yeah, after after hearing some of the things that you guys have mentioned today, I definitely want to go read the book for sure. Um, and I was kind of already planning on reading the book after but definitely now. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have even outdone my expectations just because I had no idea how you could adapt the book coherently. Mm. So I think they did, uh, except for a couple things which we talked about that I didn't like, I think they did a good job of taking the themes of the book and putting it into something you can actually show on screen. Mm. And the last question is from Trav Plays Games. Uh, Trav wants to see this movie, but it isn't playing in any theaters near him. So, is Annihilation worth traveling 40 miles for? <laughs> <laughs> well, since Netflix put it out, it's got to end up on Netflix pretty soon, right? Yeah, it's oh, in the UK, true. right? Though I will say, I mean, 
going to see this in the theater would be worth it for the sound experience yes. because that's mm-hmm. such a big part of it. So maybe maybe in that regard, I would say it's worth the 40 miles. But if you're not sort of into that aspect of it, then I, I imagine it'll be on Netflix sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think like the sound and the visuals are a big part of the movie. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it might be worth seeing in theaters. Although thinking now, it kind of makes me wish we had seen it in a nicer theater yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> we should have gone to like get like one of the huge huge screens yeah <laughs> with like avx or yeah something. yeah we saw but... it in a little one <laughs> <laughs> all right so i guess that's it if no one has any final thoughts on annihilation no it was good <laughs> great <laughs> thanks so much for joining us yeah Eve. thank you oh thank you it was a lot of fun uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you and about your candles? Mm. Oh, sure. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. It's at S-O-E-Zufi. That's S-O-E-T-Z-U-F-I-T. Uh, and then I have a candle business with one of my friends. And you can find us at uh, Cowboy and Cricket Candle Company. Awesome. And Riley, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Clary with an underscore. It's K-A-L-E-R-I with an underscore. You can find me on Twitter at Josila underscore or on YouTube where my channel is called Cannot Be Tamed. If you've got any feedback or questions for us, you can reach out at MediaMavensCast at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at underscore MediaMavens. We also have a forum for discussion of any of our episodes at cartridgeclub.org. Um, if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Riley, have you been doing anything else? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> sailing Just... sailing the seas has taken up all of my time. <laughs> all right.